Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm getting this out late this week, and the reason you could probably tell already, it's my voice. Uh, I picked up a cold when I was out in California, and so I've had a little touch of laryngitis, uh, and I was saving my voice for this live YouTube stream I just finished up with Mike Yarbrough about his book, Tending to Fire. So check that out on the YouTube channel. But since I was already in my video casting setup, I decided to record the podcast in it as well. So I may even upload a video version of me doing the podcast this week. I usually don't. I just upload the audio to the YouTube channel. So if you if you like to listen on YouTube, you might be able to actually see my smiling face as I'm, I'm recording this. You know, I did an experiment with it. I wanted to see how it affected the uptake, and uh, maybe we'll get another data point here. It's, it's a little harder for me typically to do the video than the audio. It's a little easier. I got the audio set up, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. One of the things I wanted to mention uh, was a follow-up to my podcast about the Julius and Ethel Rosenberg case. About a week or so after I did that, I picked up my Wall Street Journal, and on the front page, there is an article uh, about the 100th anniversary of the Sacco and Vanzetti trial, if you remember that one. And just let me think, here we are 100 years later, uh, and we're still talking about Sacco and Vanzetti. That's another one uh, that the left is just never, ever, ever going to let go of. Um, we're still talking about Sacco and Vanzetti. We're still talking about the Rosenberg case. Kind of crazy. I also wanted to comment briefly about uh, the Christianity Today podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. If you haven't been listening to it, it's well worth it. Uh, definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, you know, I've talked about Mark Driscoll. That was Mark Driscoll's church out in Seattle and, you know, critiqued him a number of times. And so they're doing a big lengthy podcast series on it. And people are asking me, Aaron, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? And so I will certainly have something to say at a future date on it. I have been listening to it. I have been taking some notes. I haven't really prepared to really give a formal response yet. I'll probably wait till the end of the series, till it's over, to really do that. Although, you know, I'm, I'm picking up observations as we go along. But I did want to comment about Marcel and Triscoll this week because I saw an article uh, from Julie Royce, the, this uh, journalist who's sort of become like a watch blogger. I mean, her basic beat is trying to find men behaving badly in the church and, um, you know, you know, critique them. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, she's like a real legit journalist. Uh, you know, she did a big expose on James McDonald. Uh, she exposed some shenanigans at, you know, Moody Bible Institute. Uh, but anyhow, she's out with a new thing talking about this letter that 39 former Mars Hill elders had issued saying that, you know, he's not qualified to lead, you know, because Mark, you know, he resigned from Mars Hill before he was fired. And he went down to Phoenix and he started a new church called the Trinity Church. And these 39 people are, I think it's 39, 30-something, they're saying he's doing the same stuff again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I would just say, I was thinking about this, I'm like, man, this is people who are taking advantage of the Mars Hill podcast and all the stuff around it to take their shot. And again, I don't, you know, have a, a you know a window, a portal into their soul to know exactly what they're thinking. But I'm like, man, this is curious timing that they're issuing this letter because Trinity Church has been going on for a long time now. Why now? Why now? Well, all, all eyes are back on Mars Driscoll and Mars, Mark Driscoll and Marcel Church on account of this podcast series. And um, so, you know, this reminds me 
of when the whole thing at Mars Hill went down and all these people started coming out of the woodwork critiquing Mark Driscoll. And I said, man, it really just seems like these are guys who've been waiting for years to figure out how to get back at Mark Driscoll. They've been nurturing a grudge. They've been sitting on the sidelines. And now that they see the blood in the water, they're going after him. And so what I would just say in general about this stuff is Mark Driscoll is certainly not qualified to lead a church in light of his getting a drink of water there, in light of his behaviors. Uh, but I would say neither are they. I mean, in a sense, they were somewhat his accomplices. I mean, if you were an elder at Mars Hill, you know, why would anyone listen to what you have to say about anything? So I think it's a little presumptuous of them uh, there. And one thing you see in this letter is you don't see any ownership of their own role uh, in it. They're like, hey, you know, Mark Driscoll, Mark Driscoll, what about yourself? And even a lot of the people who wanted to do these, you know, public, one of the things that happened when it kind of went down, there was all these people who, I need to publicly repent. And of course, their public repentance was sort of taking a lot of shots at Mark Driscoll, uh, more so than, you know, what, I, what came across to me as genuine repentance. And so, um, yeah, you know, this thing is getting a lot of press and people are taking advantage of it. People are taking advantage of it. Again, I don't want to spend too much time on the on the podcast today. This will probably be a shorty. There are several things I wanted to include in it, but my voice is just not doing too great. So I'm only going to talk today, uh, again, about another news item that I saw. And some people, people were sending me emails asking me, Aaron, what do you think of this? It's about this guy named David Platt at McLean Bible Church. So what happened was that there was an election for elder at this church, and so it's a non-denominational church, and so it has its own constitution with its own, uh, you know, processes for electing leadership, but they have an elder team, and one of their processes says that there has to be a 75% supermajority to elect elders, and so there were three elders put forward, and they did not receive the 75% super, super majority, and so they failed. So I want to talk about this because I think this is an, an interesting illustration of kind of tactics in the church. I've been talking a lot about tactics, about what are winning tactics, losing tactics, and one of my kind of dictums is if you are debating substance, you have already lost. And so people are not thinking about substance. They're thinking about power. And so not that I think substance is unimportant, but I do think it's important to study the tactics, look at the tactics. So if you're thinking about how you engage in your church, you need to be aware about how other people engage in, in their church. Now, this is a case where, you know, I often talk about liberal tactics versus conservative tactics. I, I don't really know anything about this church. I mean, its reputation is pretty conservative. I don't think this is a case of liberal versus conservative. I think this is a case of somebody who's the boss uh, kind of protecting his own power. So here's what happened. Again, I'm basing this strictly on published accounts. So everything that I'm seeing, I'll throw some links uh, in into Christianity Today, uh, Julie Roy's, uh, maybe some others. If I find Julie Roy's, like, I think she also wrote about it, but certainly Christianity Today had a piece. Um, I'll throw them in the show notes so you can take a look at it. And this is just based on the public pieces. But, you know, David Platt, they put forward three people for elections elders, and they failed. And so what does David Platt do? Well, one, he publicly trashed the people who voted no. And he accused them of trying to take over the church. So here's the quote that he has. A small group of people inside and outside this church coordinated a divisive effort to use disinformation 
in order to persuade others to vote these men down as part of a broader effort to take control of the church. You know, so that's kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, one of the things is this Christianity Today article uh, was actually, you know, about a takeover attempt. And, but in fact, they don't actually document any actual takeover attempt uh, out there. In fact, I pinged the Christianity Today person who who tweeted it. Like, maybe I missed it. Where's the actual takeover attempt? But they didn't actually respond to me. So there's no evidence presented that there was actually any takeover attempt. It, it looks to me more like there was a pretty high, I mean, 75% is a pretty high supermajority somebody needs to get. But then again, if you're electing an elder, you do want someone that has, you know, overwhelming support in the church. You don't want someone who's divisive. So I guess it's okay. But somebody failed to get a supermajority. That's hardly, uh, you know, I would say that's evidence that, uh, you know, there's takeover attempt. If you vote no on my candidate, then you're attempting to take over the church. Uh, but he sort of had a meltdown, and um, he decided to have a revote, and he banned the people that he thought were voting no from voting. So he banned a whole bunch of people from voting. So he went through, and it sounds like they have a provision to say if you're an inactive member, then you don't get a vote. So an inactive member would be someone who hasn't attended in a while. Well, with COVID and all that, what does it really mean to be an, you know, an inactive member? Essentially, he and his buddies went through and kicked out anybody off the voting rolls they didn't like, and then said, okay, now we're going to have a revote. And oh, by the way, I don't know if this was true the first time, but certainly the second time, every ballot had your name printed on it. So there's no secret ballot. So if, you know, you know, if I remember that church, my ballot would have Aaron Wren printed at the top. Do you vote yes or no for these guys? So literally, you are telling David Platt exactly where you stand and exposing yourself to retaliation. There's actually a quote in one of these articles. Somebody's like, ah, oh, this is like never, ever heard of anything like this. So there's no secret ballot. It's like, we're going to take the, we've already proven that we'll kick off all the people who vote, you know, that we think voted the wrong way. We'll trash them in public. And they actually said some worse things about them than I did in there. And we're going to try to suss out anybody who's not on board the program. And, you know, they're certainly exposed to retaliation. Whether it's retaliation, I don't know. They have that. So uh, these guys got 80%. So I think it was interesting. There's still 20% voted no, uh, which is kind of interesting in light of that. But the guy got to 80%. Now there's a lawsuit. I think that's what prompted the article, that the people who were sort of kicked out filed a lawsuit and said these guys did not follow their own published procedures in terms of how you're supposed to go about doing these elections. And, of course, what I see on Twitter, what do we see on Twitter? We see people out there. Oh, the Bible says you're not supposed to go to the court. This is terrible. I mean, not everybody. I, I saw a few people say this. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Are they talking about the, the things that he did? No, they're just trying to like, defang it. And, um, you know, but of course, in this case, there's really no other authorities in the church to appeal to, right? It's an independent, non-denominational church, uh, and it appears to be, uh, you know, you know, run by, you know, a small clique at the top, uh, like a lot of these things. And, uh, you know, so what do you, what do you do if they abuse their own procedures and you can't go to the courts? Nothing. So basically what they're basically saying is the people are saying this is, you know, David Platt can do whatever he wants and you have no recourse. <clears throat> if he, if he sins, even if he sins, if he does anything, you can't, you have no recourse. Well, anyhow, I thought that was interesting. We'll see how this plays out. But I think the key is I bring this up in a lot of the Mark Driscoll thing. This is a very Mark Driscoll like move. I mean, Mark Driscoll bragged about how many people he kicked out of the church, fired elders, kicked them out. I mean, I hate to say it. This is what 
very much looks very much like what Mark Driscoll did. And there's like this debate, are they going woke? Are they not going woke? And I don't know anything about that. I have no idea who even the names of these three people, whether they're woke or not woke. But I would be willing to bet that they're probably very big supporters of David Platt <laughs> and that they're very going to be very loyal to him. And so anytime you see a situation like this at church, I would just say massive, massive, massive red flag, kind of red sirens going off over this church. Um, and and so, yeah, this, this is this definitive proof that there's something shady going on there? No, but, um, you know, you just look at Mars Hill. I mean, every step of the way, you know, you could have made the same thing too. But this was certainly something that does not look good. Printing people's names in the ballot, the whole shit thing. There you go. And then, but again, what is this? This is power politics. This is a guy who's in charge, who will not brook any challenges to his authority. He's not gonna. He's not gonna let anybody say no. He's not gonna have his things voted down, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to keep that power. I'll kick people out of the church. I'll tell them they can't vote. I'll trash them in public. You know, I'll, I'll go some story to Christianity Today, tell them that takeover thing. You know, I'm going to do what it takes to win. And that's what he's doing. And it's what I call, it's like, this is power politics. There's a, a saying in Chicago, I think it originate, politics ain't beanbag. And, and that's what we see in the church is, you know, people like to act like we're having debates over the truth or it's scholarship or it's theology and this and that. And a lot of it just flat out boils down to power politics. So in a world of power politics, what are you going to do? Are you just going to let the David Platts of this world squash you like a bug? Now, again, maybe you will, maybe you won't. I'm not saying, you know, filing a lawsuit is necessarily the right thing you have to do. These other people filing lawsuits, they're using the tools that they think they need to use to do it. But I just think the key here is we see somebody who's got power and he's intending to consolidate it <laughs> and he's not going to let anybody else out there. And so this idea that we're just having a friendly debate about the truth and that somehow power politics and very shady appearing moves do not play a role even in how, you know, Bible-believing churches behave, you know, don't be, don't buy, don't be naive, don't be naive. I think this is an interesting window into, you know, how, how the world works uh, in some of these Christian churches and stuff. So, so take a look at it. Again, I'll try to throw, throw it in there. Hopefully next week my voice will be there and I'm going to talk about a few other of these things. Uh, until then, take care.